Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello again, and welcome to the Didi and Lital show. Hi, Didi. How's it going? Things are awesome. For one of our guests, I Bruins shirt because he's a Canadiens fan. It's not his fault. He got hit in the head with a puck a couple of times. But the Bruins have 15 wins to start the season. They had a record of the biggest stretch at home. And of course, I need to bring a Tom Brady jersey because Tom has shown everybody again who is Mr. Clutch in the last minute. It's going to air a little bit later in the year, but at least let's celebrate a little bit. A comeback. A comeback. TB comeback yeah. the way he yeah. likes to do. It's like teams never learn. It's Let's give Tom Brady the ball with two minutes to win. Okay. Well, we have guests today. Very, very excited. We're keeping it in a family. So we're family and we have two family members, Sam and Red. Thanks hey, for guys. Being with us. Yeah. Hey, and just so you know, Didi, Sam has always hated me because I was a Bruins fan and he also likes the Yankees, but we're going to leave it there. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's just, it's just a whole sports mess. Yeah, well, oh, yeah, well, well, you will need to explain it to everyone. How come? Oh, I, was born in, I was born in Montreal. Red was not. I was born in Montreal and my wife, her family's from New Jersey. So that, that's why the mix. So I live, in, I live in Boston or at least near Boston. And I think the only team that I am a fan of locally is the Patriots. That's it. And, and I was a difficult brother, so I just wanted to you be... still are, by the way. I just yeah. wanted to be at odds with you. So I was like, the Montreal Canadiens suck, and let's go Bruins, and that's uh, kind of... Yeah, and then he beat were, me you up You were a traitor. You were a traitor. That's, that's what I'm not a traitor. My God. Yeah, okay, maybe I was. It was very hard living in Montreal as a Bruins fan, but now welcome to Boston, so... And, and Sam can do really well the Canadian accent with en français. So, I can. I, en français. Okay. Ça <laughs> Saying, yeah. So we found where we're different because my French, right. most of the audience has no idea what I just said, but yeah, basically I can do a Quebec accent. I can also do a, a French from France accent. Yes. Amazing. Uh, so I know that we can go on a tirade like forever. I will make Sam introduce himself and then I'll make Red introduce himself and then we can start arguing. Let's do it. Um, so uh, my, my name is Sam Curry. I'm a security officer for Cyberies and president of the government subsidiary. I'm also a fellow at National Security Institute. I used to work with both Didi and Lital on different occasions. And before Red can say it, I have both the good looks and the brains in the family. But I'll, I'll pass it. Liar. There you go. Liar. Well, no, that's really good. No, I too worked with Didi and Lital back in the RSA days and some other places. I have to say Sam does my homework for me, but yes, I'm in cybersecurity. I work with a company called Rico, doing some cool stuff in data security. Um, yeah, but really, I just, uh, I have the better looks. Just want to make that clear right now. That's on the record. But Sam does my radio. For me, so. But you also yeah, have the glasses radio. that make you look like Sam. So oh, we have the glasses. All, yeah, let's do this you'll before we get know. in. You'll never know. I don't know who's who. I don't, I mean, I don't think we look that much alike. I mean, I'm, I'm a lot heavier than Red, so I don't know. But, I, I, but, but when he puts the glasses and he has the beard, it goes like mirror, mirror in Star Trek. That's true. That, that evil Sam. Evil, evil, evil Kirk. And evil Kirk and evil the boy. Yes. Well, we have a lot of topic to cover, but I wanted to ask what brought both of you to cybersecurity? You've been in the business. What brought you in and like, what's keep you in this business? What makes you excited? If you're still excited, I'm hoping so. 
So I'll start. Yeah, am I still excited? Yeah, I am. I don't think it's any surprise I wound up being a defender or protector. Just as a kid, I always did that. Red, Red can attest. It was true on the playground. It's still true. It was true at home. I was, did some signals years and years ago, and then I went back to school. And then I got into documentation and QA and being a developer at a startup in Ottawa many, many years ago. And Ash ooh, Medicine? What's that? Hey. Medicine, what was it called? The company was called, oh, that's funny. No, it was something that was called Signal 9 Solutions. I hope not. Uh, we actually, we actually dentally invented the personal firewall and sold the API to Microsoft, but we sold the company itself to McAfee. And then it was just like the mob. Like I was in and kept going and going and RSA, CA, et cetera. But it wasn't like I aimed for it. It wasn't like there was a clear path on how to get into it in those days. And so now I guess I'm merging on 30 years later and thank God for the filter in Zoom that makes me look younger, but yeah. And Ren, how about you? Yeah, for me, Sam always ordered the better meals at restaurants and I was always jealous. Like he would order something oh, like, shit, yeah. his food looks way better than mine. I wanted that, damn it. So I didn't know with cybersecurity. I mean, I started my career in pet toy, costume, clothing, and furniture design. Get the airbrush gentleman. And, 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 yeah. Just, <laughs> like, and I could airbrush like on dogs. Yeah. I could airbrush the butt off a dog in no time. But I, that's another story for another day. But in 2007, I was the victim of the TJX breach. I don't know if you guys remember that. And yeah. back then, back then I thought, yeah, back then I thought cybersecurity was AV, right? I was like, oh, antivirus, that's all I need. And I was like, what's this? So I called Sam. He was at RSA at the time. And he said, no, we don't have enough people in security. There are not enough people doing the work. There are not enough developers, not enough marketers, not enough people in, in any of the departments, right? Developing solutions to help the world, make the world a safer place online. And he said, Red, we could use more help. He also could have given me more advice because I still had a Yahoo account. I was a T-Mobile customer, et cetera, et cetera. You had know. a MySpace account, man. Disclaimer awesome. for the companies that I'm mentioning right now, apologies in advance. But yeah, I was the victim of a lot of those things. But I think in life, watching Sam be that, as he put it, the defender, I always wanted to do good things. And I always wanted to kind of follow him in his footsteps. And I came to the U.S. in 1993, didn't get my green card till the 2000s, didn't become a citizen till later. So it was really hard to become something like a policeman, a fireman in any of those professions. But I knew I could do good work in cybersecurity. So I used Sam as a mentor to teach me and kind of show me the way. And so I could do good things so I could make a difference and I could have an impact. Cybersecurity did change my life. I felt like I was doing things that were cool. And the kids loved visiting the office, Didi, at RSA because they could color on the whiteboard. But they would always say, you guys are doing cool stuff here. You guys are defending the world online. So I got into cybersecurity because Sam kind of pushed me that way because he knew I could probably make a big impact. So I owe him for that. Why did I stay? I don't know. <laughs> I just kidding. You know, it's um, funny, Red. We, we shoot the shit every day multiple times during the day and we tell jokes and whatnot, but I don't, I can't remember the last time we didn't talk cyber during our day in some way, shape or form or infosec. Well, it was a, it's a, what the F moments. Usually it's like, why is this happening? What is this? And, and it's those surprise things where I call Sam out of the blue. He's like, I'm on a webinar, hit mute. He's like, dude, I'm on a boring call. Can I just, don't face anybody. He's like, I muted the boring call. No one can see my face. What do you need, buddy? So he's always there to help answer some of those tough questions that I have around issues customers have. Because he's always said cybersecurity isn't for cybersecurity folks as much as it is for everybody. And that's what I love because he likes to tell the story. I'm going to give you a little credit here, Sam. You like to tell the story where everybody gets it because it matters to mothers, fathers, brothers, uncles, sisters, cousins. It matters to people, employees, partners, customers alike. And I like that perspective. So I do bug you 
quite literally. Well, it's not bugging. Every, I enjoy every one of those talks because we get to, we, unfortunately, Red and I, I think our father was disappointed we went into high tech. He wanted each of us for different reasons to become stand-up comics years ago. Yes, no. But you're not funny. When we're talking, sometimes I have to pull the car over because I'm laughing so hard. Because because we just, it may not be evident here, but we had a lot of fun. What's your latest, what the F moment? Tell me, what was your latest kind of, what is going on? In, there's so many things in the what news. The, the probably over Twitter or something, right? What was the latest one? Oh, right well. That's a lot of to something, right? Like I have a lot of what the f moments in life, and it's hard to separate them. Usually, he catches me what the f while I'm walking the dog, and it's he tries to make me gag while clinic, but I'm so, walking the dogs. But the 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 what the f moments come where we're having interesting conversations and we're talking to potential customers, and people just don't get the answers that they're looking for. They have vendors, not partners, and it's hard to explain to some customers, partners, right, that we're here to help them. And a lot of organizations just sell, sell, sell. So I, is, I think the what the F moments are when people come to you and they say, hey, look, I've had a breach. I've had a problem. I've had a situation. What do I do? And we don't pitch them. And Sam finds an interesting way to offer advice, to offer a shoulder, and to find organizations that he doesn't work for that can help mitigate the problems that customers are facing. I think that's kind of cool to watch because I'm like, why wouldn't you pitch cyber reason? He goes, because that's not the problem, right? And the problem, and how do I help the customer or how do I help the the victim find a solution to the problem that they're having. It doesn't have to be me. I just want to help them find that answer. So the what the F moments come when people call you out of the blue and say, hey, I can't get a hold of your brother. What do I do? I'm like, I got him on speed dial. I'm going to bug him right now. Hold on. So let me ask you, how would you actually help with explaining this to a customer? So what or does we connect to different IDPs and we start importing identities and such? Almost every one of our Azure customers gets like, I say a cold shower as soon as they see the data because they discover that basically all their service accounts are unprotected, a whole bunch of stuff that should never been in the cloud. Like they're- All, all of your accounts are belong to us, yeah. Exactly, all, all their SQL server replication accounts are posted in the cloud, probably would welcome one as a password. And you know what their first action is? They say, can we not see this? Can we not see this? Can we ignore this? And this is a continuous conversation we're having with our sales team is to say that what they're asking for is to pull out the batteries from the fire alarm, right? And they say, yeah, but we need to finish the deal. How would you explain to a sales team that pulling the batteries out of the, the fire alarm to finish a deal is not a smart idea? Pulling the batteries out of the fire alarm to finish the deal? Yeah. Well, so every CISO has got, he or she has got a risk registry somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's worth asking them, hey, now some, some, some will be, they'll act like they can't share it, but the really smart ones will, will absolutely share it with a trusted partner in their NDA. And you can have a look at it and see, has it been highlighted in there? Have they had a discussion with the business? The biggest problem in security is still the, 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 the gap, the huge yelling chasm between the security department and the rest of the business and all the other forms of risk in the company. So the last thing you want to do in the middle of the year is to say, by the way, you have this yawning chasm of risk that nobody else in the company is expecting and your budget doesn't have in it, et cetera, et cetera. But if you can find a way to see the risk registry, you can find a way to tie it to other things they think they care about. Hey, they've got cloud-based risk. Well, okay, so where, how's that money being spent? You've got to become a trusted partner. Like Red said earlier, right? What are the things they've got to get accomplished this year and tie yourselves to some of those things as opposed, and, and, and I remember back in 2002 talking to a CISO at a large bank 
And I said, I was trying to sell SIM at the time. I was in product management back then. And they, and the SIM, and Envision? the said, no, God, no. No, it was actually pre-Envision and worse, by the way. I shouldn't <laughs> that reaction. I was a computer associates then. And the CISO said, Sam, I'm sure your product's awesome. It really, I'm sure. He said, but if, if I know about it, I have to fix it. And he said, and, th- and it's the exact same problem you're talking about here. Yes. And he said, it'll probably, or you'll give me a number and you'll say it'll work by next year, but it'll probably cost $40 million in four years to do it. And he said, it, it was the average lifespan of a CISO on Wall Street is 18 months. And he goes, so I've got to be succeeding in the next nine months or they're already looking for my replacement. And so he said, no, I don't want your sin solution. I don't want to know what's out there. Now, FFIEC in this case changed that in 2004. It's suddenly everybody had to capture everything, but we don't want to have regulations come cramming down our throat. So one way to do it is you can do it under attorney-client privilege, right? So these things kind of get tucked away. Once the lawyers are involved, though, that can be tough if the lawyer's not a friend or ally of the CISO. But I think the best thing to do is to become an ally of the CISO and don't put some of this stuff in writing, right? The idea is not to put the, the, the screws on, on the customer until they buy. It's instead to find a way to make it part of their program. Awesome. Thanks. That, that... I don't know if that helped, but yeah. Well, that's how I, I would. I can tell you that it does explain in business sense something that is a conversation that we need to help our sales team do. Don't worry, I'm going to make them all listen to this podcast and to me besmirch them. And by the way, any one of them can come and talk to me and ask to see my risk registry. I'll show it to them. And if somebody, and by the way, somebody gives me one of those awful spam calls and it happens to match up with one of my rows, I'll stop and listen even though I hate spam calls. Okay. And marketing and sales has a lot to learn about the conversation that they're having with potential customers and stop pulling alarms. And you see on LinkedIn and Twitter, if so-and-so gets breached, we could help you. I mean, you're ambulance chasing. I think Sam's called this a couple of times, chasing down the story and then throwing your product in it is a horrible way to go about it. Instead, maybe reach out to someone privately and try to help them get through the tough time that they're going through. And not to mention, right, not to mention they probably don't have time. One of the things I'm, I'm a marketing sales guy, I'll give us a knock right on this. Marketing sales need to understand time and place. We need to understand that no, CISOs don't have 15 minutes for a chat with you about something they already know about. Good for you. You set that up. That's wonderful. But oftentimes I get emails. I get people on LinkedIn saying, hey, have you would you like to check out the latest new marketing product for this? I don't. I'm busy. I have a job to do, but thanks for the time. How did you get my number? How did you turn LinkedIn into a disaster, right? We have to learn how to have a conversation with an audience, and we have to learn how to support and help them out with issues we, not what we think they have, but after we've listened, right? So marketing and sales has a long way to go and to stop pushing it down people's throats, if you would, and actually make a connection and a contact with somebody. It's the network that helps, I think, in the end. Yep. Very much so. And I, I had one, one, I'll call him, a, a, he's a customer, but I'll call him a peer, a, a fellow practitioner, who was struggling to go through an ISO certification because they just built a security program. So I thought about it and just gave him all of my policies and literally just bundled them up, even though they all said confidential. I have the ability to share confidential documents. We did an NDA and I said, here they all are. Go. You can, you can look at these and go, do they match your program or not? Do you need to change them to fit you? Do you need to change your, what you're doing? Shaved about three months off if he's getting ISO ready. What? That's just stuff we can do. Yep. But that's not how we tend to think. And, and how many alerts are coming in every minute, every hour? And, and what do you focus on? And these people have a hard job as it is, right? Security analysts don't have an easy day. And when someone's throwing up solutions at them, it's like, okay, well, this guy's got something to worry about. How do you help mitigate the time? 
And how do you help help them look after the things they need to be focused on? What are the actual, where the false positives are versus what they actually have a crisis to deal with, right? Because there's so much coming in. We need to be able to help people do that better, I think. And we need to understand that if we are asking them or proposing to change something in the tech stack, even if it's a great technology, it takes a process change, it's time to implement, it's time to see value. People need to learn how to work with a new tech. So there is so much to take them from whatever. If, even if it sucks and they don't like the tech, they now need to change so much to get accustomed to the new thing that you are proposing them to move to. So you need to help them through, give them frameworks, help them make it easier, offload some of the work. Because otherwise, I think we're expecting too much. Not just taking time out of the attention, but really, I mean, we know it on the marketing side, right? right? Like how painful it is to bring a new, even something that is super helpful, it's a pain to implement and make people, enable people to use the tool, change the habits. We are all accustomed to our habits, right? If you're changing from Apple to an Apple to an Android, Oh my God, how many days will it take you to get accustomed to that? Now you that's, have a back, a back. That's my favorite. That's my, my biggest pet peeve is someone comes out to me with a new tool and it's like, you should use this. It's so much better. Well, you don't have to convince me, but I'm comfortable with what I've been using for a very long time. Thank you. And it's working, right? Right. You're, 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 well, right. I know three things about every salesperson that comes to me, right? Number one, they don't know me. Like they really don't know me. They have no idea what I do every day. They have no idea what my people do. They have no idea what a day in the life of any of these jobs is. They just don't. Number two, they're convinced that I absolutely need whatever they're selling. But right now I'm sitting here going, I'm surviving just fine. I'm doing stuff. It might not be as efficient as it could be. It might not be as effective as it could be. But they think that if I don't have this, I'm going to die. And if they manage to get in front of me, they think if I just see their PowerPoint, then it is inevitable. <laughs> that I will want it. And I'm thinking, how do I get through this PowerPoint as fast as possible? And if they don't hook me and break my expectation of those three things somewhere, then it's like, hey, I just did you a favor by watching this. <laughs> now I'm gonna try and avoid you. And I know that sounds terrible, but if you can break my expectation in any one of those three things, like don't just turn up with a PowerPoint and throw up and, 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 and listen to the problems that I tell you and answer them or actually under, how, I work for a company that does EDR. I've had three EDR salespeople turn up to try to sell me EDR. When I worked for Arbor, who did DDoS, I had F5 tell me, hey, an F5 sales guy, no problem with F5, great company. But he called and said, would you like to know about our DDoS solution? Well, actually, yeah, my company would love to know about your DDoS solution. But do you know what I do? I mean, how, how, how idiotic is that? So what are your top three problems? Generally, you mean? No, today as a CISO, as the CISO of a cyber, an Israeli cybersecurity company. We're American, by the way. We just have a lot of people in Israel. We are yeah. a Delaware okay. company based in Boston. Just FYI. Just an FYI. Yeah. Yes. Oh, with, with your security team based out of Israel, because I know Liad is where it's based out of. So what are your... So it's all, so it's all relative. My biggest, my biggest risks that my team invest in stopping is number one, production security, right? Because yeah. I... I I, we used to be entire, we used to be entirely AWS. Now we're majority GCP, but we still have AWS. We still have, I feel your pain. Of, uh, not forgetting containers and Kubernetes and everything else. We, we have 24,000 virtual machines. So that environment for no matter how good the security, I want it to be better. Right. So that's, that's number one. Number two, I'm concerned about the, 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 the 
software security and about CICD and about actual development and, and that sort of thing, right? We have wonderful software developers and what have you, but again, I'm concerned that I'm on top of it. That's what I'm investing in. And finally, I'm concerned about the insider risk. It's always something, right? We grew really fast. We had a lot of people leave the company this year. And uh, frankly, it's, it, people have been wonderful, but I still got to be looking for it. So those are the three things that I will listen to. So if someone's got solutions that help me in those areas, I listen to them. Now, Red, how would you market to Sam? Aha. Uh -huh. uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Trick question. It's actually not that tricky because working with Sam, I kind of had that insider baseball, if you would. Don't worry, Sam. It wasn't Yankees baseball. We, we've taken way too Simon serious. Simon Judge. And we, and we let Zender Bogart go. So right now... Oh. Right now, the Yankees are mentioned in every call. I said, we can't be the, the Red Sox. We have to be the Yankees. You, you know, the, the, yeah, I like that. But no, we, and back on that question, because I don't want to let it go. But the truth is, it's about the conversation. It's about the connection. It's about understanding him. It's about listening to him first. People say that a lot, that they listen, but they don't. They pretend to listen, then they shove their product in your face. And that's, again, knock on marketing. Stop doing that, right? Like, really be able to go in and ask him questions and then really be able to walk away. Walk away and come back later with some answers. The problem that I have today is that marketing and sales pretend to listen, or they do tell a good story. The tell a good story thing is good until we overplayed it. Follow what I'm saying? Yes. We've been saying tell a good story. It's like fishing, still a big problem since 2000 and whatever. Never got any easier. Still, I got a fish, I got a smishing attack on my phone. It's the same thing with the marketing saying, tell a good story, or we're not product marketing. Now we're solution marketing. Just because you say it doesn't mean you're doing it. And you can pitch a good story. It has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it has characters. And Sam and I, I think the one thing we've talked about, especially when I talk to you about what CISOs are interested in, is, right, here's the concerns that I have, and here's the chart of things I have to deal with and the nice to have, right? You got your must haves, your nice to haves. But the fact that we can have a conversation, about the issues that keep him up at night and the, and the people in that network. Means more to him than, want to see my demo? Sam, I think what you said to me once was hilarious. He goes, showing up with your demo is like showing up to a, a date, the first date naked. Don't I do I remember it. this, yeah. Don't uh, show up to the first date naked. We don't need to see your demo, thanks. Did you do that? Uh, it that reminds me of uh, how I met your mom. mom. And, and oh the, my and the God, to bring it. Guys, the naked man <laughs> works. So if you have never seen the How I Met Your Mom episode with the naked man, if oh you need to, if you need to throw a hail mary, actually the naked man sometimes. I, I, this will make our episode rated immediately. So of course. I don't know if we're bringing. We're gonna do visuals here. Is this Didi showing up to meet your mom <laughs> naked? The Didi and Latal show will return in a moment. The Didi and Latal show is sponsored by Ort. In today's world, identities are the perimeter protecting the organization and are the most exploited vector by attackers. If your security teams are struggling to maintain control of identity management tools, ORT can help. ORT offers a centralized platform for discovering, monitoring, assessing, and remediating identity threats to your business. While most security platforms can take weeks or months to start identifying and remediating risks, with ORT, your security teams can get started in as little as 30 minutes and start securing the identity perimeter immediately. ORT will surface the most critical vulnerabilities and give your security teams the recommended action steps. Start your trial today at ORT.io. That's O-O-R-T.io. 
The DD and Latal show is sponsored by Hunters. Hunters helps your security team overcome data volume and complexity while significantly reducing false positives. Upwork uses Hunters SOC platform to remain threat focused. Because of Hunters, Upwork has been able to stop going through the daily repetitive task of looking at alerts and doing lengthy manual investigations. Learn more at hunters.ai. Let me switch gear and I want to ask you um, your thoughts about, you, you mentioned already two decades ago, we didn't have enough people in cybersecurity okay. and we all have kids. We're raising them, right? We want them to be involved. How do we make this something that more people care about? More people want to join so, our industry. And as you can plainly... I think we're breaking that. <laughs> well, international breaks. No, I like this question, though. Keep going. I like this. I, I'm always curious about how we solve the problem of shortage. We have tons of people now leaving big tech companies, the big layoffs. It's an opportunity for our industry to take great tech talent and bring them to security, maybe close the gap we have in analyst position and others. So I don't know if you've been thinking, I know that, Sam, you do a lot of kind of education and stuff. I want to ask for your thoughts, how we raise the next generation in cybersecurity. First of all, I don't think there's a silver bullet for this. Uh, but you're right, I do. I, I teach I teach cyber to, to computer science students for undergrad, but I teach it to MBAs at the graduate level. I teach at Wentworth and I teach it at Nichols College. I have never been disappointed by someone who made a career change from a non-technical field into cyber. Never. I, I have a, a, there's a wonderful, a wonderful woman who was a, a history grad who became an, an analyst. She was on a path to be an analyst and she did it. And she's one of the best that I know. I've known mathematicians and musicians who've done it. When people make the commitment, they're in it to win it. And that's not to say that there aren't wonderful computer science and cyber people that have started out wanting to do it and wound up doing it. But I've never seen, never been disappointed with it. And, and so the other thing I try to do is really use my, my personal time. So I was part of hacking into cybersecurity with Carissa Varma from, from South Africa and some other colleagues like Chris Nagel. I also worked with some other colleagues on creating an academy to try to bring people in, but it's tough. And the other thing that we have as a problem is the first bar, the first rung on the ladder is way too high up. I, I'm, I called up a fellow CISO. A woman contacted me. She had done her degree. She had done her co-op. She had some experience. Entry-level position required five years of experience. It's ridiculous. So I called the CISO and called him out on it. He changed it. She got a job. But awesome. we've, got to, awesome. we've got to examine and go, wait a minute. Is this truly entry-level? Do I really need? I've seen things that say 10 years of experience for fields that didn't exist 10 years ago. So, Red, I, I know you're dying to say something. I'm dying because I'm living proof that's what you did, right? Like... To be Same. honest with you, that's a wish list. Most of these, most of these wrecks that are out there, are ten years of this and fifty years of that. Relax. Like, how is someone supposed to get get into the game to start start helping and doing things? So, I'm living proof of that. And Sam, you always told me that I could be and do any. I mean, pet toys, costumes, clothing, and furniture. Get into cybersecurity if given an opportunity. Anybody and everybody could get into what we do and understand it in some capacity, in some department, in some group somewhere, and make a difference and have an impact. And I like your question, Latal, about the kids. The one thing I learned about this coming in from as an, as an outsider into cybersecurity, how would I wrap my mind around some of the complex things we talk about? Well, that's just it, right? Bringing an outsider perspective to change the view of what we do every day. I mean, we get so close tunnel vision, we forget that what we're doing is helping, as we said earlier, 
the mothers, the fathers, the brothers, the uncles, the sisters, the cousins, the girlfriends, the boyfriends. It's about everybody. Cybersecurity matters to everybody. So I like when you said about the kids. So I know RSA was doing some stuff at local schools. They were going in and talking to kids about cyber and staying safe online. Kids live in Roblox. They live in TikTok. They live in Snapchat. They live in Facebook. They live in Instagram. Now I'm a dinosaur because I'm still in Facebook. But hold on. That's it right Roblox there. Is. We have to talk to our children about it and be honest. And we have to encourage them. We have to encourage every child to chase their dreams, to go be what they want to be. Don't be afraid of tech. Don't be afraid of hearing it's a scary thing. I can't code. Sam, English major, physics minor, right? And he got into it and he did it after school, right? So it's not about what you're good at. It's what you can be, what you could do and never let anybody talk you down. I was told a long time ago that I would never be an academic. I'd never go to university. Sam said, bullshit. He goes, why don't you try? I mean, I, after high school, I just kind of wandered for a while. I ended up going back to UMass and graduating, thanks to Sam's encouragement, graduating with honors from UMass. And then I got into cybersecurity and I did some amazing things with some amazing folks like you guys. And that's because I took a chance. And I think we have to be open and honest, right? To your answer your question, open and honest with our kids. Tell them what's out there. If you're going to be spending some, if you're using a credit card on PlayStation, just know there's somebody else out there hacking game codes and maybe credit cards. Know that if you're accessing internet and you're on the web, if you don't want it out there, don't put it there. Be honest about the things that are there when it comes to text messaging and it comes to all those things, because it's all cyber, right? Yep. Makes sense. Right. Sorry, diatribe. No, no, no. It's awesome. And also, I think it's really important, by the way, if you are talking about encouraging people to go into STEM, I think all four people are on this call to do the right side. None of us are comp sci majors. MD, PhD, biotech, English, and I don't remember what you did. Basket weaving? No, it was, it was <laughs> web design, graphic design. I did an art, an art degree. Awesome. So my, my part of the world, I always say, the two things that matter in any job is smart and get shit done. And the get shit done part is sometimes more important than the smart part. Although when somebody is really an idiot and he's getting shit done, you get a <laughs> lot of stuff that you need to fix. Get shit undone. Yeah. <laughs> get undone. Hard coded passwords. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, yes. For example, my, I, uh, there's something going on there with, with the way that job descriptions get written. Because every time we, we learn something about what makes some people successful, they become the hard coded criteria for the job. So we suddenly go, hey, EQ is an indicator of success. And suddenly we're not looking at neurodiverse people. Yep. Okay, that, that's a problem. Yep. And, and I, I think the other thing we're doing is by putting so many requirements in, it's almost a way of justifying why the people who wrote it are worth more. And yep. so they, what they do is they're coming up with reasons to say no to candidates rather than saying, hey, go find somebody who thinks a little differently, who works hard, as you put it, Didi. Right, somebody who's smart and works hard and can solve problems. Yep, that's what we're looking for, and that doesn't get written as a line in a job description. You get posted on a website. Who can go and go? How do I make my bonus? But I got to add to that, and you know what makes a great leader, and it comes to that too, because once you're in the job, it's the it's the leader who says, "Hey, I got a project. I got something I got to work on, and I know you're going to do great at this. Run with it. Run with it, and go kick some ass." It's the one that's not good. Is the one that goes, "Well, here, let's see how you do this. Give it a shot. Like we'll see how you do." One believes in you and one's testing you. Yep. And I think I learned from watching D. Actually, when I met DD at RSA, he didn't treat me like I was just the marketing guy. You talked to me as if I was just a, a, a colleague, a peer. You treated me as an equal. And some people don't do that. And I think uh, that was more welcoming when I went into RSA because it was intimidating. 
And the belief in somebody that they could do a great job and the belief in them that they could kick butt is very, very important because it enables those folks who come out of those programs like STEM programs to go kick butt. And that's what we need. We need an empowered group of people to go out there and try new things, be creative, be disruptive, right? Yeah. Not so disruptive that Didi said, don't undo stuff. Don't break. <laughs> ben, don't break. I think that's, that's exciting. I want to say to everyone that has open jobs in cyber, there is tons of talent now out there. They may not fit the box that you set, like we just discussed. So let's have this year, a year of opportunity of filling up all the wrecks with great talent that is looking for a job, is coming out of sales and marketing and other places. And they might be amazing because and if they're my, smart, and I'll do they my can plug, do it. And I'll do my plug for the, the topic I care about, giving opportunities. Make sure your pipeline is 50% female. 50% female. Don't let the recruiters ball you over. 50% females. If I didn't prep it to say it. No, no, no. This is my pet peeve. I do want to pause here for our, Dave, for regular our, game. For our regular game. I just know what question number two is. And I know that Sam was going to go on a tirade for at least 10 minutes. And I want to make sure that we get him here for that. At uh -oh. least, at it's least. Not fair. He always beat me at games. This isn't no, fair. No, no. It's not a board I game. I will not jump in first, Red. I will let oh, you jump on. Yeah, but then is it competitive? Just... Is, it, is it? Everything is competitive. Everything is competitive. Right. If you take us. it as you, competitive. You should know us by now. And now, Lital and Didi present Prove You're Not a Robot. Three final authenticating questions for our guests. And I know, Sam, that you and I were involved in buying Varied, and I know that identity-based, kind of knowledge-based identities. But I believe this is a simulation, and we are robots. But yeah, please. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you go, Didi. Of Fire. course. So I'll start with Red, and then go to Sam, because Sam will go for the kill, and then we'll go flip it. Red, if you were a cybersecurity superhero, what would be your name, and who would play you in a Hollywood or Bollywood movie? Cybersecurity suit. Can I be a villain instead? Of course you can. All right, I'd be the fish. That's what I'd be. That's pretty stinky. Let's be the fisher. You'll be the fisherman. And who will play you in the movie? Oh, geez. I'm going to go with Ben Affleck. Okay. okay. You're going local. He has a fat face like me. No offense, Ben, if you're listening. But he's getting talent, so. Round. I've been told I have a round. Now. Awesome. Pilot, the fisher. There we go. The fisher. <laughs> Sam, who would you be? I, could, I can't be red, right? So that's you can't be red. No, I can't. Say rat man. How about that? Remote yeah. access Trojan. I'll be yeah. that. I would do. Now, who would play me? It's tough. You need somebody tall. Yeah, I need somebody probably heavy too. Somebody tall and heavy, like. Um, hmm. Or we could go. We could go against type. That, that would be all right too, right? I mean, yeah, you can go with Tom Cruise, small and petite. If he, oh, if he, all right, Tom Cruise. There we go. If he, look at thing likely. It'll help protect my identity in the real world. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Now, question number two. What is your favorite hacking or breach horror story? Yes, exactly. Uh, that's <laughs> we, what I said. we prep it. We, we knew, we, we, that's we why know. I gave it some time. <laughs> well, you have first on that one? two episodes oh. of Malicious Life about it, right? I, I already mentioned it. It's a so wired many. article about it. So many, yeah. Well, the RSA nice. for me has to be, right? It's like, yep. that's like Twitch worthy, that one. Is there a follow-up question as to just what it is or... Yeah, just go and describe a little bit. Just give us a little bit of an anecdote. And we there. highly recommend for 
those that are interested, wonderful article and wonderful episode of Malicious Life to to get it. And that Wired article by Andy Greenberg was really good. He almost almost got it all right, but it's the closest I've seen. I I lived in the office for a month. We had a a cot there. We papered the windows so people couldn't see because we had those smoky windows with strips you could see through. And we had to leave our laptops in our car and our phones. We went to paper for something. Laptops could be in certain rooms. I think what most people don't realize is there were two attackers. And we didn't know that until close to the end, that one Chinese agency had hacked another Chinese agency, which had hacked us. And so we were onto one, but we weren't onto the other. And maybe the most amazing thing is that in the end, there probably wasn't any leaked information at all for all the panic it caused. So I remember at the end of the year, I was talking to Tom Heiser, who was the president of the company at the time. And it's one of those moments where you just reflexively say something. It was like New, you know, like New Year's Eve party type thing in the elevator. And I said, hey, happy new year. <clears throat> and then he said, yeah, he said, it was a good year. And I looked at him and said, yeah. And then we stopped and we realized what year it was. And it's that moment where you've been <laughs> through trauma, you still have PTSD. And I liken it to having one child. And if you really remembered what it was like in its worst moments, you'd never have a second. Right. And if it, most of us would either get out of the industry after a breach like that, or you move on and you only have flashbacks when you get the next incident. So, yeah, you're right. I did wax poetic for 10 minutes, but yeah, that's RSA breach in a few minutes. Yes. Right. Last question. No, no, no. no. I'll give you one. This one. is a good yeah. one. Yeah, this I'm is a good one. one. I'm going to go with that one too, but I'm going to break it up. There's a couple of others in there. So I might go a little longer than you, Sam. Sorry about that. But I, I did the, I think they called it the boomerang. So I boomeranged back to RSA. This is cyber still, right? This isn't yep. personal. No, no. I don't, yeah. I mean, beat me games, but you might not beat me boomerang. Anyway, so RSA was stressful the first go around while we were there. But the second time I went back, I went back to help out in 2018. G'd come in and, and they were doing what they were doing to break the company into different groups. And I would say that, Sam, you did an article with Wired, but I'd say that RSA was still super sensitive about it even today. They don't like us talking about it. the fact that we're talking about it now is going to get attention. I, I, I love the way you put it, though, the open and honesty. When you're breached, you've got to be open and honest because it helps others around you. So, I, I, so you say the worst, but I'm going to take the positive approach. When you're open and honest about a breach and it happens to you, you give the next person a shot, a chance at defending. You give them the knowledge, you give them the insights, you give them, as Sam says, the resiliency. How do you build resiliency into your teams? How do you handle something? I think RSA came out stronger because one, now they've been through it. Now they know how to take it on when it comes again and other companies could learn from the lessons. So I was really amazed when you did do that article. And I think you gave some people food for thought because we're not done with breaches. And I watched Hundreds, if not thousands of companies get ransomware in 2018, 19, 20, 21, 22. And these, I won't go naming them because it's not necessary. You can simply Google that. But the fact that they had suffered and they needed help and they needed to figure out how to get out of it and watching Sam help these organizations and Didi, watching folks like you help organizations dig out of these things. It's tough when you go through them, but I think sharing the lessons learned from something as big as RSA helps organizations see they're not alone. Somebody else has had to go through it. Someone else has had to defend. Someone else has had to answer the tough questions with the media. And it's not a, a black mark. I think it's a badge of honor. I got breached. Absolutely. I survived and I came out. So instead of being so afraid to admit that you've been breached, openly admit it, share it, stop trying to hide from it, face the consequences and go be better. That's all. So yeah, yeah. I, I, the RSA breach was big and still big today. 
I yep. have to say, you put a template for everyone of how to act and how to handle a situation. That yep. was one of the most extreme, I think, situations that you handled at RSA. And I think it's, it's a watch and learn for everyone in the industry. Because as you said, Red, at the end of the day, everyone will be breached. We know it's, it, it's a matter of, it's a fact of life. I think back then we didn't realize it. It wasn't a reality like it is today. Ransomware is out there, things happen. So when people want to prepare, I think they should read your Wired article because it gives them a template and something to think about. How would I handle it if this happens in my company? One thing I have learned reading some of this stuff and retrospecting, there's one person that we don't give enough credit and Sam will giggle because he and I value this person a lot. It's this Dallas. He saved our butts. Because Speaking of a tall person, he's also very tall, by the way. Also very tall person. He could play uh, you. He was our general counselor. And what I've learned from other companies that got breached and couldn't be as, as outspoken as we were about this is how we dealt with contractor and third-party contracts. The fact that he made sure that we were able to communicate is insane. So a lot of companies that have not been breached, make sure that your contracts with your third parties allow you to communicate because yeah, sometimes you'll be stuck under gag orders for, because your lawyers didn't read the, the fine print. So yeah, that's I an have to say, Chris is a remarkable person and the tribal knowledge he had for RSA was incredible. Yes. His wisdom, he knew when to be quiet and he knew how to carry a big stick when he had to. Yep. Well, yeah. It does help when you're six, six and you have a hand that's like, yeah. So I'm like six, six three, as you mentioned earlier, I'm tall, yes. like I'm six, three. And there was, a, and, and that executive group, I was like in the shorter part. There, were, there yes. was like seven, Pat was big, Pat Collins. And yes. Chris Young was big. like, people were tall. Yes. Yes. Very masculine. Cause I'm only five, seven. So you're, you're a midget, Red. It's terrible. Like, you know. Yeah. You're going to pay for that later. I made yes. you brownies. Oh. Anyway, Sam makes delicious edibles. So I, I, because I know that we can go on long, long, long tirades. Last question is what was your first computer? Sam, go oh, first. Now, Texas Instrument 9948. Now, that was my own. I used, my dad was the head of computer science for the University of Quebec at Montreal. So I got to use a whole bunch of things like his PDP-10. There was like a ton of stuff. And I used to have a, a teletype terminal in the basement so I could, I could play Rogue and go through reams of paper and stuff, right? But, but my own was the TI-9948. I didn't have a Trash 80. I didn't have a Commodore, but I loved my Texas Instruments. That was nice. So she actually had... We, we had an EMC guy who was a patent guy who was the, who was the IP attorney for Texas Instruments way back then. And they had built way too many of this computer and, and, and the pricing was off. So they were losing money per computer by the third year. In the end, they had to make all their money back through patents. But as a result, those computers really did go far and wide. And there were a lot of them. But I used to love my cassette recordings. I, I, had, I had the monitor, which had pixels and stuff. It was awesome. The sprites, oh, fantastic. Brad, how about you? I got to go with the hand-me-downs. I mean, unlike the jean jacket I had to get from you when we were in elementary school, right? Because so you just, did the Canadian you know? tuxedo? What that? You did the tuxedo. tuxedo? So yeah, yeah. So here's the best, right? So I inherited all of Sam's hand-me-downs. I got those computers. And the great thing is our age gap is just right. Because at that five years, by the way, I'm, I'm in marketing, so my math is shit. But let's be truthful. It's about five years. So that five-year gap, I got Leisure Suit Larry in the 19... Oh. Oh, you yeah. know what Leisure that did? My, uh, for XT, yeah, yeah. Larry yeah. was a, Leisure Suit Larry was a filthy bastard who did all kinds of horrible things. And Sam left me that. Now, 
Also, all the police quests. When Sam was deported, all of that. Also, when Sam was deported, I inherited his Ford Escort, which was a which was manual. Now, here I am as a seventeen. So he dressed as Leisure Suit Larry and got in it. So I dressed as Leisure Suit Larry, got into the Ford Escort. No, I'm driving through Chelmsford Center at a four way stop that's like a hill start, and here I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I put it in first and I gun it. I think I hit a legal building somewhere in Chelmsford Center. Oh, my. But I wouldn't say I inherited all Santami Downs, whether I could use them or not. But the epic game, Leisure Suit Larry, things I learned as a young lad. Thank you, Sam. Excellent. Well, with that, we would love to have you again. We have so much to talk about. Brad, Sam Carey, the brothers, the legends. Thank you for being with us. Thanks, Didi. Please rank us, follow up, subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or YouTube. Have a wonderful rest of your day. See you soon. Bye.